Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is Podcast 354. Today, I'm going to answer a question that many of you have asked me over the years. When did my love for Israel really begin to develop? And I want to answer that question the very best that I possibly can. I'm writing this down so it can be part of a book that I am trying to finish up about my life. But when I was 11 years old, it was 1967, I came in from school and doing the work that I was assigned around home, around our household to get in water and get in what I needed to do for washing the next day and so forth because we had no running water and I had to get things ready because the next day was going to be wash day. My grandmother was watching TV on a white, snowy, black and white TV. Uh, I can remember the snow was really white on the screen and it was fuzzy. But my grandmother was watching the news broadcast of the glorious Israeli victory over the Arab armies of the world and of the Middle East. As we watched that, I was fascinated how that an army of such a small nation that had just begun in 1948, I didn't know all of that at the time. My grandmother just told me a little bit about it because she was a great student of the Bible and a great student of prophecy and a great follower of world events. She began to talk to me about the Jewish people because I said, Grammy, how could all of this be? Because she was just telling me about how wonderful it was and how that the city of Jerusalem was reunited after all of these years. And she had a lot of uh, biblical savvy to her. I'd never heard any of this before, and it just fascinated me. And she looked at me, and she was very serious when she said this. She said, son, you need to always love the Jewish people. They are the apple of the eye of God. And you always be good to Jewish people and be good to the nation of Israel. I hope one day, son, you get to go. So I didn't think much about that until after God changed my life at age 19. And I'm telling you, God radically saved me. And anyone that would know me before I was saved and after, they would tell you the same thing. And used to, when I'd go back to my hometown, they would say to me when I would see men and women that I had gone to school with who were then boys and girls, Tony, if God can save you, he can save anybody. Because we were the ones that nobody gave a chance to. And I'm not poor-mouthing. I'm just telling you this is the way it was. And people will tell you that that really knew us. I didn't think much about Israel again until after I started reading the Bible. And I'm telling you, when you start reading the Bible, and nobody's messed with you, nobody has tried to tell you that the Bible doesn't mean what it says and all of those kinds of things and give you all of these things that will push you away from just the proper interpretation of the Scriptures, when someone doesn't mess with you and you read the Bible, you're going to love Israel. So that's exactly what happened. I started reading the Bible, and a woman by the name of Gladys Galloway, who lived in Riceville, Tennessee, took me under her wing. Now, she was the school elementary Bible teacher. She went in the public schools around teaching the Bible on flannel graph, and she had taught others to do that. And in every public school when I was growing up in the 60s and 70s, 
And certainly in the 50s, there were Bible teachers out in the schools. Now, these were evangelical Bible teachers. They would teach the Word of God and just teach the great stories of the Bible. And it was fascinating to me. It was mesmerizing as I would watch them tell these stories and put these flannel graph figures on a board. And I was just amazed by that. When I went to North Carolina, another sweet lady who is one of our dearest friends in all the earth, Patsy Mills, at Allen's Creek Baptist Church, she was there. She did flannel graphics. We had a huge children's church and a huge bus ministry, and she would mesmerize those kids with all of those figures and flannel graphs. As she told these stories, she was telling the story of the Jewish people. She was telling the story of Israel, of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, of Joseph, of all the stories, and those were Jews. As I began to read the Bible, I found out that everybody didn't love Israel. And everybody, as, as I went off to school, I found out that there was an entire segment of the evangelical population that believed that God was finished with Israel. And I was just amazed by all of that. But one thing Miss Galloway did that changed my life forever, in 1977... I had been to the Crystal College at that time for a year. When I first went out there, the first class that they put me in, 1976, it was an 8 o'clock class in the morning. It was Hebrew. That's right, biblical Hebrew. And my teacher was the far-famed Dr. H. Leo Edelman. Dr. Edelman had been known by many as the protege of A.T. Robertson, the great Greek scholar from Southern Seminary in the late 20s. He and Dr. Criswell were contemporaries. And Dr. Criswell had asked him after he had retired from everything else and being president of New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary for 10 years to come and begin the Criswell College in Dallas. And it was, Dr. Edelman was the first president there, and that's where I was trained as far as my bachelor's work is concerned, and really gave me a foundation for the rest of my life, and I'll forever be grateful to the Crystal College in Dallas. It was then called Crystal Bible Institute, CBI, and then it became the Crystal Center for Biblical Studies, and then uh, the Crystal Bible College, and now it's the Crystal College, very well-respected school in the state of Texas, and many of the people who are now in leadership especially in the Southern Baptist Convention, either taught there uh, during those days or they were students there with me and after me because I was in one of the first classes there and, and certainly one of the first graduating classes. But when I went there, they put me in a Hebrew class at 8 o'clock in the morning. Well, I didn't know English. I was in there, up there, over there, and that's just the way I talked. I could barely even speak English and, and certainly didn't know much English as far as writing and so forth. And so when I started in Hebrew, after two weeks, Dr. Edelman came to me and he said, Mr. Crisp, could I see you? And I said, yes, sir. And he said, I need your help with something. He said, you're not doing well in this class. And he said, it's because you don't know English, son. I mean, he really talked to me as a father. He gave me a little handbook, an English handbook. It was called Walsh's Handbook, his little brown handbook. And he said, you need to eat this. You need to devour it. You need to digest it. And man, I took him at his word because, you see, I had been given an opportunity by the Crystal College. I'd handwritten a note to them and said, will you give me a chance? Because I didn't have any kind of credentials to get me into school, no ACT, SAT, anything like that. And, and I just asked them to give me a chance. And I was in the school the first semester on probation. And if I failed Hebrew, I was going to certainly be not allowed to continue or at least they made me think that. And so I was greatly motivated. And so I took that little handbook and I learned English. 
and I taught myself English. I was a part-time sporting goods salesman at Sears Roebuck on Ross Avenue. I worked there after I got out of school, and I'd go home, and I would study until about 11, 12 o'clock at night from about 6 in the evening. I would uh, spend the first three hours studying English, and then I would do my Hebrew assignments because the more I understood of English, the more Hebrew made sense to me. And so I began to just devour it and ask God to help me, and I began to learn and memorize Scripture. And the more Scripture I memorized and saturated my mind with, the more God expanded my recall and memory ability, and and my mind began to develop what some would call a photographic memory in the sense of I could read a page. I was a slow reader, but when I read that page, I could see it in my mind. I'd go back over it and over it again to where I could see it in my mind. I could see the paragraphs. I could see the sentences, where they ended, what the punctuation was. That's the way I remembered the Hebrew characters. And then I began to learn the case system. Uh, And then I learned the um, verbal system and all the the clensions. And I began to learn the syntactical relationships. Even before I knew very much Hebrew, it began to come to me. And after I had been there about a semester and a half, Dr. Edelman came to me and he said, well, Mr. Crisp, you've done well. He said, I'm going to ask that you be my grader this next year. And if you would, tutor an early class. And so I want to tell you, that just reinforced everything when I started grading people's papers. Then Hebrew really began to stick in my mind. But see, I wasn't just learning Hebrew. I was learning about the Jewish people. Because what I didn't tell you, H. Leo Edelman had been A.T. Robertson's protege. He had a Ph.D. in Koine Greek from Southern Seminary, and he was going to be the next professor after Dr. Robertson retired. He was going to be the next professor. But God called him to the Arab people in Nazareth. And he became a Southern Baptist missionary from there. Not, it's not the International Mission Board then. It's called the Foreign Mission Board. He became the Southern Baptist missionary, he and uh, Miss Sarah, his wife, to the Arab people in Nazareth. And that was just when it was a little small town. And the school is still there that he began and worked with, and the church is still there. Southern Baptists have now turned it over to someone else. That's for another podcast. But anyway, they did. Dr. Edelman was fluent in Arabic. He taught himself Hebrew. The rabbi of Israel said in writing that Dr. Edelman was the most native-sounding Hebrew speaker that he had ever heard outside of Israel. He really had a gift. He had a Ph.D. in in Koine Greek. He was fluent in Arabic. He was fluent in Hebrew. He said he knew that Hebrew had really become his native language in his heart when he began to dream all of his dreams in Hebrew. He put a desire in my heart to not just learn Hebrew, but to study the Word of God. Because he had been there. He had lived with the Arabs, and he had lived with the Jewish people. He had been there and gone through that Mandelbaum Gate many times when Israel was still separated. Uh, Of course, they were not even a nation at that time. And he was there. He was actually sent home and brought home by the Foreign Mission Board during the 1935-36 Arab blood riots. And many of you will remember those as you studied history and the history of the Jewish people. And some listening to this might even remember being close to that period of time in your memory. But what I'm telling you is he came back. He came back, was president of Georgetown College in Kentucky, and then he became president of New Orleans Seminary. And after a decade there, he retired and came to be the president of Crystal College. But Dr. Edelman didn't just know the language. He knew the culture. In 1976, he said, Tony, I want to go back to Israel one more time. He said, I want you to go study with me. 
And I said, well, I'd love to do that, but you don't understand. I can't go. He said, well, he said, I'll help you raise the money. And he helped me raise some money. And Miss Galloway, who had taken me under her wing before I had left for Texas, she got wind that this is what I needed. And so she raised at that time, 1977, over $1,000 to help me to go and study with him and with what Dr. Edelman had given me. We were able to go there and spend time in Israel. And he taught me everything. He said, I'm pouring into you everything I can possibly pour into you in these days. And he did. It was from morning to evening. He discipled me. And I cannot even begin to tell you what that trip meant to me. Not just what it meant to me then, but he gave me a methodology for study that's still with me today. It's the historical, geographical, linguistic, cultural, contextual study of the Word of God. And now I can remember just as plain as day, we were coming across the Sea of Galilee on a big, heavy boat, not one of these wooden boats like uh, they have over there today that are modeled after the first century boats and so forth. It was obviously, it had been uh, made a few trips across that water. And just before we got to uh, what is uh, today the place of the Jesus boat, it was an Afghanistan there. Then we were staying there. The Jesus boat at that time had not been found, of course, and none of that museum was there. But I was walking down near the water and Dr. Edelman coming across it said to me, this will be my last trip over here, Tony. And he said, "Uh, you're going to have to take it from here. And I went out beside where that museum is there now. Many of you have been there, had coffee in there and shopped in there, have seen the Jesus boat. I remember when they found that. I remember when they dug it up. I remember all about it. And my wife and I saw when they put it in the material to soak to uh, allow the wood to get soaked with all of the chemicals that needed to be in there to preserve the wood. We remember all of that when they put it in there, when they found it, when they put it in all the different stages. But that museum was not there then. And so I walked down there where that museum is, looked out over the water, and the water was lashing up against the rocks. At that time, the water was full. The lake was full. And I just said, God, whatever it is that you want from me, I'm giving my life to you fresh and anew. And if you'll bring me back over here, I'll teach people about the Word of God from the way that you looked at it and the way that you taught it. And I'm telling you, God has over and abundantly answered my prayer and uh, given me a heart for his people, to love them, to care for them, and to teach others, men of God, and from the smallest to the greatest, the great linguistic, historical, geographical, cultural, contextual teaching of the Old and New Testament. And the Old Testament is just a forgotten book. We rarely even preach out of it today in the evangelical churches, except for illustrative purposes. And what a shame it is, because it's the only Bible that Jesus and the apostles had. The New Testament wasn't written in the turned the world upside down. And it was in the law, the prophets, and the writings that they preached Jesus. And I believe one of the reasons for the shallowness that's in the pulpits today is because of the real shallowness of understanding of the great story of God. And so that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. That's just a a little bit of the story of how I came to really get into the study of Israel. But I, I can tell you that anywhere, I believe this anywhere on earth, anywhere 
anywhere that people will just read the Bible and nobody from the West or from some Reformed seminary deals with them, I promise you, if they've not been spoon-fed to replacement theology, supersessionism, whatever you want to call it, saying that the church has replaced Israel, which it has not, that's not biblical truth. That's not biblically accurate. The church has not replaced Israel. God's not finished with Israel. And the cross was not the end. It was for payment for sin, but it's not the end of our salvation. The Lord Jesus is one day going to give us a brand new body. And if somebody says that that was it and that's all she wrote, then they've just not read the Bible and understood it properly. God's got a lot more to do in this world, and he's going to use us and the next generation. And after the church is taken from this earth, whenever you think that is, it's going to be. And there's going to be a time of great tribulation. God is going to save, convert, cause to repent, open their eyes, whatever terminology you want to use. He's going to set aside and already has them set aside 144,000 Jews, 12,000 out of every tribe, and they're going to be God's flaming evangelist in the earth. Now, that's what the Bible teaches, and that's just the plain sense of it. And if the plain sense makes sense, I'll let that be the sense, lest it all become nonsense. And there's a lot of nonsense that's being taught out there today. And so uh, I believe that if you just read the Bible, nobody messes with you, you're going to come away loving God, you're going to come away loving the God of the Bible. You're going to come away loving the Jewish people because whatever God loves, we need to love. We need to love God's people. We need to love the church of Jesus. We need to love biblical prophecy because there's a lot more that God's going to do in the future. And I hope you and I get to see a lot more of it come true as we walk on the way. This is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.